Welcome to Engagement Matters, the podcast for business professionals who want to effectively engage with stakeholders and increase the productivity of their teams. Brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. For more resources and to subscribe to the show, visit jhw.com.au. Hello and welcome to episode five of Engagement Matters. My name is Christina Cantors and I am joined by the founder of JHW, John Williams. Now, in this episode, we're talking about using influence to achieve your goals. John, can you start us off and tell us why this is important? Yeah, sure. As service providers, uh, most of us have a, a, a role where we need to achieve outcomes, For most of those outcomes, they need to be achieved with the input of other people. And therefore, in those circumstances, we have just two choices. We can use authority. We can tell them this is how it's going to be. Or we can use some form of influence. We can persuade them. We can bring them on the journey. We can sell them on the concept. But essentially, it's influence and authority. Those are the two options we've got. Now, those two options, they're applied in very different ways and they have very, very different consequences. So we believe it's worthwhile becoming more consciously aware of the opportunities and the constraints of using each of them. Mm. And in this discussion, we're going to share with listeners what those things actually look like and how to use both of them and in which circumstances either would be, which one would be the most appropriate. Correct, yes. Because one or the other is not necessarily the one that you should use all the time. There's no right answer. (laughs) And therein starts the first problem. Mm -hmm. We seem to be a little bit pre-programmed based on our personality to default to one way or the other. Um, If we don't consciously think about how we're going to achieve that outcome, some of us will automatically default down the authority line where others sometimes automatically default down Mm. the influence line. So can you tell me what does authority look like? Sure. Um, Authority in the corporate world tends to come from two major sources. The first one is my position my positional authority. So if I'm the CEO, then I have a lot of authority over my subordinates. That's positional authority. Uh, I can use that authority because I can impact on their career progression, their pay scales, their longevity in their role. I've got an authority that gives me the right to, to a certain extent, order them around. So you're saying you will do this and it's because I am in this position. Because I'm the boss. Yeah. And I say so. So that's one form of authority. Um, Another form of authority or source of authority in the corporate sector is the authority of knowledge or experience or, you know, I know more about this topic than anybody else. So you need to default to me. Uh, We often refer to people as, um, you know, Fred's the authority on this Area And what we mean by that is Fred is the most knowledgeable person on that body of expertise. So we always default to his authority because none of us can question it. In the, uh, in the kingdom of the blind, 
the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> so that that level of authority is reached through being very knowledgeable on one thing and you you, you gradually work your way up there. Is exactly. that correct? So, for instance, uh, in a more practical sense, um, in a software implement- implementation, the specialists in that piece of software tend to carry with them a form of authority because they're the only ones that really know what the capability of the software is. And if I wanted to cite uh, an example where that can get misused, um, when we're gathering requirements about what the system needs to be able to do, the software engineers I've come across have occasionally said things like, "Uh, I'm sorry, uh, forget that idea. Our software doesn't work that way. Now, that's a way of using their authority of knowledge to defeat the requirements of their users. It's hard to argue about that when you don't understand their software, but it's a misuse of that authority that can be very damaging to the relationship and to the motivation of the entire initiative. Okay. Now tell me about influence. What does that look like? Influence uh, can come from anywhere. Uh, I may be the CEO and have an awful lot of authority, but I may choose instead to use influence. Uh, At the same time, I might be the new recruit that's just joined at the bottom of the structure of the organization. But because I've got good ideas and I present them in a constructive way, um, I may be able to influence people to come on the journey with me and get exactly the same or possibly better outcomes than a more senior person that tries to use authority and may not succeed. So influence comes from anybody. It tends to require dialogue. It can take a little longer but is more likely to get things like buy-in, commitment, transfer of ownership, and all those sorts of things that makes it stick rather than having to be policed. I often think that with authority, I may get compliance. You will do what I tell you. Mm. Or I may not. I might get defiance. You might decide to ignore what I tell you or deliberately Um, oppose what I tell you. But I'm not going to get buy-in. If I use authority, I don't get the, I don't give the recipient the opportunity to buy into what they're going. They've had no contribution to it. They have no ownership of it. They're simply complying. Mm. Whereas when I use influence, I've garnered the ideas of other people. I've given the opportunity for them to view their points, to make suggestions to suggest alternative ways, to bring additional information to the discussion. And in that process, we tend to build a sense of ownership, a sense of belonging, a sense of motivation around the result that we end up with. And does this work with anyone? So, for example, if you are maybe an entry-level staff member or middle-level manager, so it doesn't matter where you are, when you use influence, is it possible to influence all levels of, of, of the workplace? Uh, generally speaking, yes. Um, a lot of people respond far better to influence than what they do to um, authority. But that's not to say everybody. Mm. There are circumstances where we're looking for some 
boundaries, some guidance. You know, if I'm if I'm new to the job, um, particularly if I'm reasonably junior, come into a new role. Day one, my real objective is to get home without stuffing up. I really don't <laughs> want to block my copied it book on day one. So if somebody's there prepared to tell me exactly what they want me to do, exactly where the boundaries are, I'm reason- reasonably happy with that on day one. As I grow in the organization, I may not be quite so comfortable being told exactly what to do uh, under an ex- instructional type model. Mm. And I may, I, I would hope that most valuable employees want to be more empowered than that, want to be feel that they're there for their intellectual capability, not just for a manual um, processing ability. And if you want to use my mind, then um, then I've got to be uh, involved in the discussion and feel enabled to contribute my thoughts, ideas, expertise, and value to the circumstances. That doesn't tend to come out all that well in an authoritarian model. Mm. All right, let's let's go a bit deeper into that because I think to understand how to use influence to get people on board and to achieve the outcomes you want. You you really need to have an understanding of in what situations you should be using influence versus authority. So maybe people listening already have authority in certain areas, but maybe they want to start using influence. So can you share with us, John, how do we choose between using authority and influence? Yeah, yeah. We have some really uh, robust discussions in um, in our workshops ab- about just this. And um, I'd rather use their consensus, the consensus of multiple discussions along this topic, then dictate my ideas. What we usually find is, number one, let's not forget there is a place for authority. Uh, There are times when we are looking for decisive action. If the fire alarms start ringing, I can smell smoke. You know, it's getting a bit warm in here. Uh, The idea of setting up working groups to ponder our next action. Mm. And then once we've got the contribution from each of those workshops and in the fullness of consideration, taken each idea on its merits, uh, we probably all burnt to a crisp by then. I think when the bells are ringing, I'd want somebody to say, quick, get out of here right now, just go Mm. and take that, that command of the situation. And there's other circumstances in corporate life when we are looking for a level of decisiveness and somebody to just make a decision so that we can get on with things. Oh, it's just like if you're giving a presentation, for example, and people are coming in late or having a chat, you need to use your authority to say, all right, everyone take a seat. We're going to get started. Exactly. Yeah. Um, There are other circumstances where um, it's far more complicated than that and there's a lot more vested interests and it's not quite such a straight hot forward black and white decision and people need to voice their opinions added their inputs in order to get a decision which the majority feel is a sensible decision so authority works exceptionally well in what i describe as quite simplistic thoughts and ideas so like there's a danger here. If we don't get out quickly, there could we could all be at risk. It's a no-brainer. People will accept authority in that situation. Another example is that we we all accept here in Australia that we drive on the left-hand side of the road. 
we do that because it's a no-brainer. It makes common sense. You know, by driving on the left-hand side of the road, we all get to our destination much quicker than if it was laissez-faire. And it's safer, we have less collisions and so on. There's also a regime of fines and authority to back that up if you don't conform with the rules. But it's not the fines that make people drive on the left-hand side. It just makes common sense. It's a simplistic concept that we can all buy into and we can all see the out- outcome is sensible. Mm, the fines are just a fun bonus. Exactly. So in a, in a corporate environment, when it's a clear-cut thing, when your safety is at risk and where people can naturally see the common sense of this outcome, authority works extremely well. Where it's more complicated than that, where there's more ambiguity involved, uh, often authority will fall short of the requirement that we're looking for. Mm. The problem is we often don't find out till much, much later. I can often use authority and I use it because it's quicker. But if my children don't buy into it, they might not actually turn around and say, get stuff we're not doing that Mm. but they may not actually do it and i don't find out till later that what i thought was happening isn't happening and the company is at risk or the project has gone off track or the initiative is at risk of failure because what i thought was happening what i thought might be complied to is not being complied to if we use authority, we tend to have to set up a regulatory police force to police the fact that people are complying. Otherwise, there's every danger that they won't be complying and we're going off track. If instead we use influence, if we've truly got buy-in, empowerment, ownership of the people involved, then there's a much stronger commitment to see it through, to achieve the outcome, because we're all committed to it. We all feel ownership and involvement and that empowerment. Mm. But also when you have that level of authority, it's I imagine it's, you've got to be very careful to not then abuse it. So when you can when you can use your authority and people do comply, that's an amazing gift and exactly. shouldn't be shouldn't be abused. Uh, my observation in the corporate world is that uh, good CEOs um, they have the greatest authority in the corporate world within the corporation, obviously, they've got everybody reports into the big boss, but the good CEOs use far more influence than authority. So they're the ones with the greatest authority to you at their, at their disposal, but they more often than not tend not to use it because the whole principle of, of leading people is to bring them on board and you don't bring people on board by using authority. All right. Let's then talk about influence and what sort of situations should we be using influence instead of authority? Okay. Uh, typically, complex situations that have an outcome or an influence or uh, an impost on a large number of people or, or any number of people, really. Uh, in situations where I don't have all the expertise or all the inputs or all the knowledge required. So, for instance, um, we see corporate IT projects regularly underperform against the expectations that we had up front. 
the software has got so much more potential to provide benefits than we often get at the outcome. And a lot of the reason for that is that our users have not bought into the solution, don't own the solution, and don't necessarily cooperate as much as we'd want, both through the project phase and through the user phase, the using afterwards or after we've gone live. Um, do they have the same level of earnestness, commitment to learn all the ins and outs of the software? If they're not bought into it, if they're weren't consulted in the first place, if they believe this is doing detriment to their expertise or how the job needs to perform, if they haven't been brought on board, then there's varying levels of resistance that we might discover because we didn't bring, you know, make the effort to bring them on board. In situations where we have consulted all the people, used their expertise, demonstrated that we're listening to them, brought them on board, implemented a large number of their ideas, then in those circumstances, we're far more likely to get a cooperative user base rather than a less cooperative one. Mm. So how do we do that? Well, it's about talking to people. It's about dialogue. Um, I mentioned earlier, it you know influence can take a little longer than authority. But um, if we take the trouble to consult with people, give them the opportunity to input the uh, outcomes, uh, demonstrate that we are listening to them, then they are less likely to be resistant to the outcome than if we don't go through that. So can this be done through, say, small group workshops or one-on-one yep. chats with them? Or what's, what's a way that you recommend? Uh, I, I think small working parties or, or groupings of people to, to – so that yeah, a group of up to about 10 people, most people in that group of 10 would be happy to contribute their ideas. If you try and do it in a room full of you know, 150 people, there's going to be a whole lot of those people that – don't feel that they had the opportunity to contribute. They'd be too embarrassed to speak in a, an audience that big. They may feel overwhelmed. And so even though we felt we were trying to give them the opportunity to contribute in a group that size, that's not really actually offering them the, the, the opportunity to contribute. So I think, you know, working groups between four and maybe eight, 10 people, that's the sort of size where most people can feel comfortable sharing their ideas. And um, this relates to another discussion we're going to have in another podcast, but I like the, the concept of learning than leading. What I mean by that is give them the chance, you know, understand from them what they'd like to see. Record, be seen to visibly record what it is they'd like to see the outcome being able to provide for them. And then coming back later, once the decision has been made on which way we're going, let's come back later and demonstrate how that decision will implement where possible as many of the requirements that have been gathered as possible. And I think, I think we ought to be doing this for all of the potential users of the system. Now, often I get pushback in the corporates from that. Do you know how many users? We've got over a thousand users. How are we going to get around that many people? What's going to happen to the timelines on the project if we mm, try and talk a to a thousand people? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's also the converse of that. It's, it's also an awful lot of user resistance. If you've got a thousand users, I'd rather have those thousand on-site and cooperating 
been offside and resisting. So I don't think the, you know, if it's a one person audience and it's worth me influencing to get them on side, then that's going to take a relatively small amount of effort for one person. And I'm going to get a little bit of cooperation. So you could pick, a, you could pick the influential people out of that thousand. Could you do that? You Have could. Have discussions with them? You could. But if you really want a successful solution, you've got to talk to all of them. All you've got to get, you, you want everybody on side. Every piece of resistance is a piece of resistance is, is unnecessary. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a scale thing. For each person you bring on side, you get a reward for. So it's worth investing to get those people on, on board. Mm. Now tell me, what if you have no choice in the matter? So what if you are at a level where someone, your boss is telling you this is what needs to be done and they're using their authority to tell you and then they want you to use your authority to then tell the, you know, your colleagues or the people or your team that this is the way things are going to be. Now, so, but what if you don't want to use authority and you want to be seen as influencing people instead? Yeah, you've cited a really good case there. And a lot of people are, are the meat in the sandwich here. My boss is told me that I've got to get this completed within the next X days and has put, you know, real pressure on me to do that. And I know that to get the successful outcome, I need to spend the time influencing gathering information and helping people buy in rather than imposing this solution upon them. Um, so I've got two stakeholder groups here, my own line of reporting and the stakeholders that are in the user population, if you like. Um, I would always, uh, in that circumstance, try to uh, find the time of modify the timescales if necessary, but we need to have that end user population on side. So um, it's not a case of forcing it through. This is what you must do. It's a case of let's get their requirements. Let's understand what they would like to achieve from this change. Let's have these working groups. Let's outline it. We all know change has got to happen. We're looking at putting them in a new system or a new process or a new um, structure. What would you all like to see as the improvements to your daily working life as a result of this new system? Let's be seen to be gathering that information, taking it on board. And you know, the solution that's already been imposed from above me will resolve a number of those requirements for those people. So let's take the trouble of going back to them afterwards and saying, okay, you wanted A, B, and C. This is how the new regime will deliver A, B, and C for you. Now you wanted D, that isn't available right now. That may, may need to come in a phase two or might not come, but here's the reasons why. Mm. But people will still feel like they're being listened to, which is, and that their opinions and ideas are being considered. Yeah. Exactly that. And what we are doing is we are offering our user population a solution to their requirements, not simply imposing upon them a different way of working. Mm. Okay. So there's some reward for them. And we're working on that basis that we've listened to you. 
We understand what you're looking for and we're trying to provide you with a requirement, uh, with, a, with a solution. And we can make that solution meet everybody's solution. We're not in a perfect world, but we've gone a long way to, to providing that. These are some of the elements actually have uh, changed management. Mm. Actually, let's talk about that. When when using authority or influence to achieve an outcome, as we've been discussing, oftentimes it does require a major change. So new change in software, new change of change of doing things, maybe a, maybe a restructure. And there's this widely accepted concept that people are naturally resistant to change, which is why we have change management people to help people get through it, right? So if you're listening, you've probably heard this concept that people are resistant to to change. And John, we were having a chat before, and you you actually wanted to challenge this this concept. Can you can you discuss? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's look into this. People are naturally resistant to change. Well, let, let's let's look into this concept. Um, I'm going to try and get interactive on a podcast. I need you, the listener, yeah, <laughs> to, we can to do join this. me on this. Um, people go through change all the time in our personal lives, in our business lives, in our social lives. Um, so I'd like you to think about one um, concept of change, one one incidence of change that you've faced in the last 12 to 18 months. Now, I'm suspecting most of our listeners in, the, in that time period, you know, it's still reasonably fresh in the memory. We've gone through something like um, a job change. Uh, we've decided to get married or maybe decided to get divorced. We've decided to have children. We've decided to buy a house or move out of home. We've decided to move house. We've decided to um, change our job career, buy a car. Start a podcast. Start a podcast, <laughs> yeah. Make an investment in something. Yeah. So we've all been through one of those major changes uh, quite significant changes in our life, big decisions, probably in the last 12 to 18 months. So if you're listening right now, I'm guessing you must be listening if you heard me say that, <laughs> just isolate one of those big decisions, one of those big changes in your life in the last 12 to 18 months. You've got five seconds, go. That sounds about five. <laughs> right. Okay, got that, that thing particular thing that you're thinking about, I've got one question for you. Did you embrace that change or did you resist that change you're thinking about right now? Okay. Now, I'm not going to be able to hear your answer, even if you did say it out loud. We do this exercise frequently on our workshops, probably done it 50 or 100 times. Interestingly enough, despite the fact that people are naturally resistant to change, we usually get about 80% of the group saying, yes, I embraced that particular change. So right now I'm thinking of a change that I went through was I moved in with my partner, which is quite a big change in your life to yes. decide to live with someone. And I'm, I embraced that change. So I'm one of the 80%. That Fantastic. Okay. Um, we do, however, get around 20% that say, no, no, I resisted that change. So for that 20, 20% and you, the listener, might be one of those 20%, I ask one supplementary question. The particular change that you're focused on right now, did you initiate that change or was it a change that was, that was imposed upon you? Now, 99% of the people that 
of the 20% that said they resisted initially the change, then come back and tell me that the change they were particularly focused on was one that was imposed upon them. So I actually believe that people are naturally resistant to change that is imposed upon them. Where someone's potentially used authority to say, this is what's happening, this is what's changing, you will accept it, and then they resist. But most people are very open to change and can be quite flexible and versatile if they are involved in the process of change. That really ought to have some impact on how we think about implementing change within our organization. If we can win that buy-in, if we can get people's contribution, if we can get them feeling empowered about the, the, the changes that we're making, we have far greater success in getting their morale, their empowerment, their commitment, their buy-in to, to making it work. And that is gold in most new initiatives, projects, or, or whatever. Fantastic. So as you walk away from this episode, it's a good thing to think about. Think about use, whether you might want to use authority or influence in the workplace. When, when it would be, what would be the most appropriate situation? John, did you have something to add? Yeah, I think the other thing to, when you've consciously gone through the process of thinking in this circumstance, should I use authority or should I use influence? If you choose to use influence, remember that influence requires a dialogue. When you've chosen to do influence, don't go to email and send out the email to everybody to say, this is how we're going. That's authority. That's a one-way process. What we need to do is get interactive with the people involved. Maybe it's a face-to-face meeting, probably the best. If not, maybe it's a phone call, but you need to discuss it. You need to have the dialogue. You need to be asking questions, not making statements. That way people feel open to contribute. And only when they contribute have you got a true dialogue and a true influencing uh, regime. And we will be doing another podcast about how to facilitate if that's something that you want to be doing more of. So getting people's feedback, getting them all in a room and because there's definitely right ways and wrong ways to be to, to do effective facilitation. Yep. Facilitation is a great example of using influence to get to an outcome that everybody's agreed to as opposed to a presentation, which is this is what I've decided is the right answers and let me tell you what it is. And yes, you're right. Um, I think the next podcast will be about yeah, facilitation. Yeah, the next one will be about facilitation. So make sure you keep an ear out for that one. Fantastic. All right. Fantastic. Thanks so much, John. This has been a really, really useful and an interesting discussion. I've, I've learned a lot in it. For detailed show notes, go to jhw.com.au slash influence. That's jhw.com.au slash influence. That's where you will be able to find detailed show notes of this episode that you can forward on to a colleague or maybe your boss who you think might be better off using authority instead of influence. I don't know, but it's a great resource there. So make sure you check that out. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in today. My name is Christina Cantors and this has been Engagement Matters. Thank you for listening to Engagement Matters, the podcast brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. 
To download free resources or to join one of our public engagement skills workshops, visit jhw.com.au.